This is 4L with Ryan O'Neill and Rebecca DeCoster. Say it, Rebecca. What up? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> hey, look who's um, back. Ryan, so this is, I know, this is a podcast I don't actually want to do. I don't want to do this one at all. Oh, because well, we're because nice we're, thing to say. We're breaking the least breaking news ever. Wozen. That's never happened before. No. Maybe it's his background. It's the background. It's because you have a Michigan background, Ryan. It's screwing up your tech. Oh, I meant his life background. But yes, it it could be the Michigan background. (laughs) Wow. Jesus. (laughs) Leaving the family bench and just going to start taking shots at everyone. Yeah. Let's talk about all the attorneys you don't like in three, and- two, one. <laughs> Here's what I was thinking about last night when I couldn't sleep. First of all, let me just say your sign on referee to caster makes us relevant with the young people. So I love I feel that. like it only makes um, us relevant with people who watched Budweiser commercials oh. in the 80s. <laughs> Um, one of my favorite humans in the world, his thing was always was, and he's not here to say it anymore. I miss him every single day. So I love that. Um, I was thinking about this last night. It's not the attorneys, it's the behavior, right? It's the, I would, and I was like, literally, I don't want to, part of the reason, I think we're going to talk a little bit about the fact that I'm changing dockets at the first of the year, I've made You're a changing dockets? <laughs> and it's been granted by the chief judge, um, which I appreciate um, because it's not a gimme. People think it's a gimme. The chief judge assigns dockets. So you make the request and he or she has to make a decision. It's not a gimme, but he has granted my request. Um, but I was thinking like, I don't want to be get off my lawn, you know, <laughs> like it's time. I, I've had 14 years. And as I've said to everyone who's brought the topic up, I've loved it and I've hated it. Um, but it's, it's time. It's time for a new set of eyes, a new set of ears, somebody with some patience, more patience than I've got at this point. It's, it's time stuff that used to kind of irritate me a little bit now really bugs me. And I try to not let that influence things, but I'm a human being and it's that I'm sure the frustration shows a little bit. So it's time for some, a new victim, some new blood. (laughs) (laughs) So what is the, like, what is the behavior? Like, can you categorize? One of the behaviors that was, I was laying about thinking, what is it that burns you out? So what is it that makes you get to a point where you're like, this is just, I, it's, you know, um, obviously the traumatic stuff matters, but I also think that we're, I sh- I'll only speak for myself. I'm getting really good at dealing with that trauma, recognizing that trauma, processing that trauma. So that is not why I'm going. It's not the neglect abuse cases. It's not the juvenile delinquency cases. It really isn't. It is the domestic cases where you have folks that, There is, I do not have a wand. I got a gavel, as Joan Young used to say, and that there is, I don't know that there's anything I can do or say that is going to improve this situation. And it just wore 
it, it wears me down. When I'm seeing the same folks every two months on basically the same issues, so we're just a year older, we're still fighting over the soccer team. It's just, it, it I have, there are times when the week is done and I feel like, okay, we move the ball down the field a little bit. We, we can't undo 17 years of a dynamic or behavior, but we've moved the ball down the field a little bit. Orders are clear. Expectations have been managed. I, it, you know, at least we've done something here. But there's a lot of Fridays where I'm like, what? What improved this week? Right. I, how did, you know, I don't know. I guess I, maybe I was idealistic starting thinking this has to be exhausting. There's no way they want to keep living like this. It's and they got to be exhausted. I'm exhausted. <laughs> How can, but different strokes for different folks, right? There are people who they're fueled by it. They would rather have the conflict and be able to go to book club and say, let me tell you what the, the goofball right. the, did this week. Um, then really think about how can we bring peace to this situation? How can we address some of this chaos? How can we make this a way more livable situation for our minor children? It, it, I don't know that the drive is there in some folks. Do I you guys get tired? Oh, yeah. <laughs> You know, I wonder, I wonder too, if maybe the, the workload makes it harder to process that stuff, yes. because I know that on your plate is the domestic docket, the juvenile docket, the delinquency yes. docket, abuse, yes. neglect, um, PPOs, not just domestic PPOs, all of the PPOs, yes. stocking and yes. whatever, um, in addition to the other things that you do, whether it's juvenile drug court or child death review yes. or all of those things, that's a lot. That's too many. That's not just one plate. Like That's a lot. You know, of I love my job. I wanted it very much. I still want it very much, but Speaking for the family bench, I can't speak for civil criminal because I'm outside looking in. Speaking for the family bench, we work our tails off. And my husband was always like, you guys do work, you know, you work very hard. He, he, he would see it when COVID hit and I was working from home. He was in one room and I was in the other. He's like, I, I, I honest to God, don't know how you do that all day. <laughs> I don't know how you do that and switch, switch gears. Cause you're, you're part marriage counselor, right? You're, you're part pure judge where you, you know, your expectation is that people know the rules of evidence and that they're acting within them. And that is a challenge in a hearing setting. You, it, it does feel like the workload gets overwhelming sometimes. I, again, just speaking for myself, it, it does feel like it gets overwhelming. When I, I read my motions two to three times, I'm a visual learner I, and I need to see it rather than hear it. It's way more effective for me to see it and highlight and make my own notes and process and then see the response and then look at the original motion again. And 
it's just, it's frustrating. You know what? I, I got off topic though. I, the, the thing that drives me crazy <laughs> is the approach of here's all the problems. Here's what's going on. Fix it. Yeah. <laughs> We're looking for direction from the court. No, you're not. You're not. You know your case better than I could ever know your case or you should. The parents know their kids. So there's like layers of knowledge of the intimacies of this family and the children's personalities and the family dynamic. What do you think is best and why? Not, here's what happened. So does the court have any direction? What do you mean? Well, and that's frustrating too, when we're trying to facilitate a, a resolution before it ever hits the judge is, well, I know what I think, but it, I'm not going to throw out a hundred suggestions and have you say, well, that won't right. work because of A. Well, that won't work because of C. Well, that won't work because of Z. Like I, help me help yes. you. Like, tell me what you think will work and let's go from there. Yes. Like someone's got to throw out a proposal and it shouldn't be the person who's trying to facilitate some sort of resolution or craft yes. an order that everybody can actually That's do. That's the scene from Jerry Maguire right? Help me help you when he's screaming at the guy in the talking about the quan or whatever, screaming in the, I think they're in a bathroom. Help me help you. Like, give me, I should be able to go to the end of the trial brief and see the relief requested, go to the end of the motion and see the relief requested and, and have an understanding of where you want me to land. And then it's like, help me get where you want me to go. But the he she's withholding the kids. Like oh. it's and? just it's in right. And and your gentle listener doesn't didn't get our visual, <laughs> but it's just it's so you it's so frustrating. What do you want me to I can't do all of this? And I also can't I can't respond to like in, You know what happened last night was, it, oh my gosh, no, I can't. I've thought of this all through. I've, I've looked back at other orders. I've seen what some of the dynamics are. And now you're throwing another, like a curveball at me. And you want me to enter at the end of this hearing, like good orders for these kids. Yeah, I think, I, this, and I think Zoom makes the sandbagging worse uh, to, to process. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's made it more common I think it's made it more difficult for me to process the sandbagging because it there's something about the the Zoom that makes that more difficult for me. I feel like I'm less able to be flexible on that format for some reason. I don't know why. I can't articulate why, but I can tell you having just done the first like lengthy hearing in person that I've had in a number of years, yeah. I'm much I'm much more patient in person and I can't, I can't tell you why that is. I think there's something about the cutting each other in and out on zoom yeah. and the, the lag in the transmission of people's voices that makes it seem like people are interrupting constantly. Mm -hmm. And that's really tough to take. I also, honestly, I think it's the human condition. I think it's the old, you know, you, the, the, the keyboard warrior type, 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 type send like, there is a separation between you and I and referee O'Neill right now, even though we're all, we all have a 
screenshot of each other's face. We are not in each other's space. And I think that makes a tremendous amount of difference in terms of what people are willing to say. The gentleman who flips me off or double flips me off, as in one case, on Zoom is not doing that in the courtroom. There's just, there's whether there's a deputy standing there or not, unless someone is seriously mentally ill, they are not flipping a judge off in a robe who is 12 feet away from them and two feet above them. Like there, there's just that the dynamic is different. There's, there, there's no way. And the whole like exit meeting, like it, it's, that's not happening when we're in real life and you are saying to somebody, hang on, hold on. We're not, we're not done. Hang on. Or I'm going to call the deputies. Let's not do this. Right. It's, it's, I just think it's, it's different to be in somebody's physical space. Well, and particularly during motion call too, like you no longer have an audience of 12 other cases that are waiting to be heard, watching you behave like a moron. Right. It's also, I think we might've talked a little bit about this with judge Cunningham. I can't remember. I know referee DeCosta, you and I have talked about this. Um, and referee O'Neill, I welcome the opportunity to discuss this topic with you. Um, it's courtroom as theater. Like you start the morning a certain way, the energy in the room changes in a good way. And folks are taking their clients out in the hallway and real talk is happening when they see, oh, Judge A playing today. <laughs> like this is, we're not, if I didn't file a response or I didn't file one till 22 minutes ago, it's not being considered. You know, if motion number one, it's like, I got a response. It was very late. I did not have a chance to read it. What do you want to do? You want to come back another day or you want to go forward today? There's no emergency. What, how do you want to handle this? When they see that, then sometimes it's that education for everybody, you know, because they are, our practitioners are dealing with a number of different personalities in terms of referees, right? And family and parenting time specialists, and then a number of different personalities in terms of judges. Hopefully it shouldn't, it doesn't rise and fall on your fact finder. Uh, hopefully the facts rule the day, but it, it, to some extent, your client seeing a ruling in another case on a crowded Wednesday morning can turn the light on. Well, and I think that's, you know, the whole read the room issue, right? Like you don't get to read the room when it's on Zoom. No, it's you're reading the Zoom room, very limited. And Rebecca and I both were in private before we got to this spot. And I mean, I, I recall there being many Wednesdays where you'd see the temperament of the judge or the way that something was going and you'd nudge your client and go like, either we're not arguing this or like, we need to like reevaluate because things that you might think or think, and, and I don't think it's so much the practitioners. I think the practitioners, know, it, it's really just more of education for the clients to sort of say, Agreed. see, when I told you that this was going to happen, like this is exactly what's happening. Right. Do you She's want to not moving this, this kid's school in the middle of the year? Right. <laughs> Unless someone is on fire, all the adults <laughs> will be inconvenienced and that kid is staying in the same school. But yep. yeah, and for them to see that ruling in another on another motion and get that hear that little kind of moment can help you as a practitioner. Yep. So back to behavior. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to like now that, 
and that there is going to be some crossover. Like you're going to see some of the same people. Yes. Right. Yeah. But is are there things that maybe you want to bring to people's attention that they should just stop doing because it's universally irritating? I'll tell you what was really surprising to me. So I was a lawyer for 18 years before I took the bench. And my main area of expertise was the criminal law. I was an assistant prosecutor. Then I was a city attorney, assistant city attorney for a number of years. So it was like, you had some, one of my husband is a practicing attorney. One of his favorite sayings is like, when I would ask him a question, his response is, well, what does the court rule say? Which is, that can get you throat punched as a husband. <laughs> but if I knew what the court rule said, I would not be asking you, <laughs> sir, I'm taking a shortcut. Um, but it's a great point well taken because a lot of the answers are in there, right? In terms of standard of proof and this things that you need to do, must, shall do in terms of getting a default judgment at or those types of things that there, where there isn't any wiggle room. Here's what really did surprise me when I took the bench. So the neglect abuse cases were familiar. The delinquency case, case is familiar, but the domestic I was learning was the lack of really the lack of like referring to the law providing the statute, like the brief being a one line, rely on the laws and statutes of the state of Michigan. Like, no, there's laws that apply to this, reference it or argue it. Um, really frustrated. I was not a um, A plus law student. I, I was a solid B and fine with it. And still to this day, fine with it. Draw no attention to yourself. Um, but I got an A plus in evidence, and that was actually because it was a. I got taught by uh, Ralph Slavenko, who's just an absolute expert. Um, issued some of the uh, commentary for the Federal Rules of Evidence. Just a re incredibly respected guy. And the only time I could get the evidence class was eight o'clock. It was like Monday and Wednesday morning, eight o'clock, down on the Wayne State University's campus. And so he was a um, he would assign you a day based on alphabetically and you were called on the entire class period. I'm last name Brennan, right out of the gate. First one that that happened to. So my preparation for that first evidence class was absolutely stunning and beyond. And he said, and I'm not lying, you can, there are, there are witnesses to this. Mr. Berlin, I don't know if he was in my evidence class or not, but I went to law school with him. Um, he said, you did such a lovely job. I'm sticking with you. And I'm not kidding you for the rest of the semester. It was me. Wow. Um, <laughs> he gave me an A plus as a result. Of it. I think honestly, I feel like I think, you should have gotten a check like that's <laughs> no, it was in a very, it was, it wasn't in the big lecture hall. There was only like 20 idiots stupid enough to take it at 8am downtown and he, I think he just thought this works. We're all learning. Other people got to weigh in, but all of the questions were directed at me. The result of that was a command of the rules of evidence. I have a lot of weaknesses, but that is not one of them. So hearings where folks like 
do not know how to just mark an exhibit and lay a foundation or they'll say, can I approach with it with this? And I'm like, for what purpose? Is it to impeach? Is it to refresh recollection? Are you intending and offering as an exhibit at some point? Well, all of those. It's like, oh, my God, no one has said they can't remember. So it's not to refresh recollection. I don't know the nature of the document, but I'm thinking you're just trying to lay a foundation. But it shouldn't be me who's doing that. To me, that's that's all that trial prep, all that hearing prep, where you, as a practitioner, I, I there's no doubt in my mind, but both of you sat with the rules of evidence and thought, what could come up? In this case, what could come up? So there's a recording. There's a whole bunch of check stubs that I think have been manipulated. Whatever the, the, the issues are, like, what could come up here? And right. then you're ready on that. There was, when I first, I was like, is anyone going to say the law? Is anyone going to make reference to a court rule? <laughs> it's right. just so, well, that's not fair. Well, that, and part of that is not, I'm not like, I'm not saying they're not good lawyers, but I think just the nature of the practice is best interest of the child. It's discretionary. So, so they're, they're, that can result in a lot of storytelling as opposed to judge. First, you have to establish custodial environment. Like, first, I'm going to offer evidence on what the current established custodial environment is. There, there just isn't a ton of that. No, there's. I don't know. Maybe you, you fi- maybe you find it different. You know. No, I think. I mean, that's I, part of the reason for the podcast is watching the flailing. Whether it's not having a command of understanding what the standards are or what the law is or evidence is. It's so, it's such a, let me try and be positive for a minute. Cause that's yes, not please, normally my MO. I, I really am a sunny side of the street person. <laughs> I know, I know you are, but I, it's such a beautiful thing to be in a hearing where no matter what the facts are, the facts can be the worst facts ever, but to have two attorneys representing the parties who are in front of you who understand the rules of evidence, who aren't making petty objections that are just sucking time, who are asking effective questions on direct and cross and getting their points in and getting out of there and not belaboring the point. It is a beautiful ballet. Like I, there's nothing I would rather do than sit in a hearing where I have two extraordinarily competent counsel Mm -hmm. who understand what they're doing, who understand what the point is of being there. Let's get in, give the referee or the judge the facts that they need in order to make a determination because if we could settle it we wouldn't be here right and let's get out that is and a gorgeous beautifully thing. put beautifully put yeah and that I guess is what I love about our profession like when that's happening it is like a ballet you're absolutely it is it's perfection it's the person like you say who knows five questions on cross all I need to do is get them to admit that they left you know, the kids with the eight-year-old while they ran to the store, uh, just get the admission, then make the argument later. Right. You don't have to get her to admit what a horrible mother she is and how she's negligent. Like, just get the fact and argue it later. Right. That's the and art of cross-examination. Maybe, like, maybe don't obviously be reading the questions that your client gave to you. Like, <laughs> maybe exercise that attorney and counselor part of your job. Like, and, and ask effective questions and be able to suss out, like, 
I understand you're upset about this subject, but it's not helpful to be asking questions about this right now or whatever the case may right. be. But there's it, a um, reason that they, that you know, I, I say to people like your, your attorney, your learned counsel, listen to them. You have a really good lawyer sitting next to you. Listen to them. It's, this isn't, I'm not, I am not the marriage counselor. I'm not there to say that life is not fair. And I feel for you, like, that's just not my role. It's hear the evidence and the orders that are in the best interest of the kids or a fair division of property, but it's all the emotion. I just, that's not really for me. Ryan, do you love the emotion? You like the drama. No. no. Oh God, no. <laughs> no, but I don't. I, I, I mean, listen. I I can tell you with a near hundred percent certainty that the judge who who signed off on me coming over to the spot did it in part because I had hearings with her where um she would on the record talk about you know like. That's how you introduce an exhibit. And it like, at the time, it was a bit of a mind blow. I'm like, you know, because I was, I don't know, early 30s when I would have these hearings, like late 20s, early 30s. And I just assumed like everybody did it this way. Like everybody comes to court and has their list of proposed exhibits and has the authentication um, court rule cited. And if you know there's going to be a hearsay objection, you have the like, I was always that level of prepared. And I just assumed everybody was part because that's what like law school told you. Oh, you get to right. court. Everyone's going to be super like, and then you get here and, and, and Rebecca, what you sort of said, and, and we've talked about this a number of times in this podcast, right? That's why we, that's why we started having these discussions because it was getting frustrating. The biggest frustration that I have with people who work in the domestic docket is where they get very offended when people will sort of call it like the kitty court or, or, you know, make it sound like it's less than, you know, the civil right. criminal dockets in the federal courts, but then simultaneously want to go in there and pretend like court rules aren't real statutes yeah. don't exist. And it's like, wait a second, like you like can't have it both ways. If you want, right. if you want this to be treated with the mastery level that I think you frankly need, I, I think that people who, who make those criticisms are, are uneducated and ignorant about it, but uh, don't don't give people that ammunition, right? Don't come in here and say, I want attorney fees. Why? Well, because I think it's fair. Well, what's right. what's the court rule? What's the Or statute? he clearly makes more than she does. It's like, I'm gonna need a little bit more than that. Yep. <laughs> like or I or how about just the basic under what under what theory? Like under what rule? What what are you asking for attorney's fees under? Right. It, um yeah, I somebody referred to once it was a lawyer and it took my breath away because it was such a it was such a vicious but I it was it had to do with like a filing of a witness list and they hadn't filed timely and then literally it was like 12 hours before trial they're like you know getting in the court file and and the attorney said when it was objected to like hey nobody gets to testify except the people on my witness list I didn't get their witness list till 12 hours ago so I know no one else did. you know I know you didn't judge and I know no one else did um and the, the attorney who filed the late witness list said, well, you know, it's just a divorce. This isn't that complicated. Like we always or whatever. And the, the it was a gentleman lawyer who responded. Uh, the slop of the bar is not an appropriate objection. 
And I was just like, that's, that's like it, it just, just because the water level is low doesn't mean that you shouldn't come in, in a trial setting prepared. It's I, I, I do because we do also have folks, like you said, referee to or what you described, prepared, articulate, ready to go, good at settling, but when you can't settle, giving, you know, me the information I need to land where they want me to land, and both sides are trying to do, you know, that, um, that is just, that is, that is the joy of the job and the joy of the profession. So I don't mean, you know, to suggest that there's, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of like a lot of slop. What are you thinking? Yeah. How are you? There is. You said it. She said it. <laughs> yep. And you know, maybe part of it is, I mean, you, the two of you are in a position that you're in, which I have so much respect for, for a reason. So you are the ones who came to court prepared and having thought through, is this my witness to lay this foundation? You know, when it's like showing somebody something they've never seen before, you know, aha, it's like, okay, that's not your witness to, you're not refreshing their recollection. They, this means nothing to them. They're this, this, whatever the receipt from the hotel or, you know, it's, that's not your witness to get that in. Get a stipulation or get somebody from the keeper of the records from the hotel. What would you it, it, not that this person is not going to give you what you need in terms of laying a foundation? And maybe the thought is always a, it's going to get settled before we get there, but you got to prepare as if you're going to get there. Well, and right? I think that's like, and I understand the frustration of being in practice and like trying to keep to a budget and trying to do things in an economical way for a client and not only trying to do that for that client, but trying to do that for many clients and having conflicting deadlines and those sort of things. But that's the, that's the scoop kids. Like that's what it is. Yeah. But, but to me, that's why it's, it's so important. And I, I, there's some attorneys that are really good about doing it. And there's others who I think the concept would be revolutionary to them where, <laughs> you know, when you know, you're going to have a contested hearing, whether it's a, an evidentiary post judgment or a trial, you know, you're going to have, a number of exhibits that need to get in, right? We all know, no matter what family you're representing, the pie is only so big, right? There's only so much that, that's going to be able to go around. Do you want to spend the money bringing in, as you said, judge the keeper of the records from the hotel mm -hmm. to verify that that was a receipt? Or do you want to do what not enough people do, which is to send those exhibits early and say, hey, this is what I'm introducing. What are you introducing? And what can we stipulate to ahead of time? Yes. Yes. I start every trial with, I assume the attorneys have had an opportunity to sit down and go over what can be stipulated to. So I'll receive those now. And sometimes it's like, here they are. And sometimes, well, we haven't really, are you, how are you ready for trial? Like I started this asking you if you, I just hit my elbow on the table. <laughs> um, that's what that sound was. That's what I get. An angel Karma. saying, calm down. Right. <laughs> um, the uh, it's like I started this trial as you if you're ready, you're not ready. If you haven't sat with the other attorney or sat on the phone and said, obviously, the credit card bills are, co are coming in. Right. Obviously, the pay stubs are coming in. Uh, there, there's some when people say, well, we can't agree on anything. 
you literally cannot agree on the cars. You've been married for 25 years. There's two vehicles. Her name's on one, his name's on another, and they're leases. You you literally can't even agree that we're assuming the lease for the car that's in our own name. Like, that's just outrageous. Right. And, I, and like you say, there isn't, it's different. We're, this isn't a business where they're going their separate ways and someone's going to have this big of a bag of money and someone's going to have another size bag of money. It's, there's only so much in terms of family resources and they are going to, there's going to be some sort of crossover if you've got kids going forward for a number of years. So right. yeah, it matters. It There is certainly an art to this type of work. My husband who doesn't do a lot of it is like, will never ever get involved when there's minor children. He's like, I'll do numbers all day. I'm not doing schedules. We did that. It was wonderful <laughs> for our own, but he's just not. See, I really, I like that. I like that. I like, you know, it, I mean, not the, not the stuff where we can't agree to save our lives, but I like being able to take like kind of that life experience of having certain exchange times, the bus schedule matters in terms of what the exchange time is. And are they going to be able to run in and grab food or are we fed when we're dropped at the, like those, the, like the real life nuances of parenting time schedules that we fashion sometimes. It's actually kind of like you're solving a puzzle, right? Right. So I do have a question where I'm not exactly going to ask you to speak for other people, but I sort of am. Um, I, I think practitioners like the idea of, you know, one family, one judge, let's elect judges to be in family division and keep them there. And I, and Ryan and I disagree about this. And I a hundred percent used to be in the boat or on the side of, like, let's have people who want to be family judges run for family judge spots and be family judges for the duration of however long they're going to be on the bench. And I really have changed my mind about that um, because I do see the compassion fatigue and I do see mm -hmm. the burnout. And I understand that keeping people someplace where they are emotionally exhausted from being able to do that kind of work as effectively as they would like. But I wonder if maybe part of the problem is the workload that we talked about yeah. earlier. Yeah. And is there a way to divide up the workload so that we're not having folks fatigue as yeah. early as they do? You know what? I think there is. I, I, that is a huge, because I, I didn't take this decision lightly. At my 10-year mark, I put my memo in, I got approved to switch dockets, and I changed my mind. Because my good friend, um, now prosecutor Karen McDonald, said, I don't think it's time yet for you to go. Uh, and she really encouraged me to attend a three-day domestic violence training or two and a half days that I thought was phenomenal, completely changed how I see it, changed how I 
evaluate it. Was it the notes also I was passing you during that training? I think it was um, the notes actually were, I think made me miss some key points perhaps um, in terms of the presentation. Um, but I survived. We did. Uh, yeah. But I, that to me, I don't know if you felt the same way in terms of the information, but it, it really helped me to look at people differently. Cause I can be kind of like, listen, hook yourself up by your bootstraps, you know, and you didn't have a job before, but now you're getting divorced. Now you're going to have to have what I'm, I can be, you know, harsh in, in some situations. Um, but that really, that changed me for the better. I think, I think that family court judges handling personal protection orders is for me, it is the most soul I always say, what is it? Time sucking, soul crushing, <laughs> eight out of 10, waste of time, two out of 10, super important, need your full attention. And they're the reason why the statute was written. But those other, the girlfriends that we were both dating the same guy. And so we're fighting over, you know, over Instagram. I, I mean, unbelievable. Who's in fear? Who's being harassed? I mean, it's just unbelievable waste of time. There has been talk over the years that maybe they're more appropriately handled in a district court setting. Um, in light of the fact that everybody's local, it's a local, it's a local court issue. Police officer witnesses are all going to be lo local. There is no way. I just don't see that ever happening. I just do you think there's room to split the domestic PPOs from the non-domestic PPOs and apportion those? That would be very, circuit? very helpful. It is just it it you can get a you can be in a PPO hearing for a day. There's we have five days in the week. Wednesday morning doesn't exist because that's motion call. You literally can can lose one fifth of your work week on one PPO and every day it's interruptions and it's you're reviewing them and trying to make good decisions, keep people safe, not waste people's time, offer people due process. A lot of times we'll get a request for a personal protection order and you set it for a hearing and, and then the petitioner's furious at you and you have representatives from the domestic violence support that person that they brought flipping around flopping around in the chair because they're so upset that it got set for a hearing so that you can hear under oath what they want you to know and the other side gets notice and an opportunity to be heard as well that to me makes all the sense in the world in a lot of these cases if it's your brother that someone's trying to get a PPO against, do you want him to have a chance to be heard? Or do you want to say, eh, he can file a motion to terminate it? Hold on, though. Then the ball's in his court. Now the burden's on him to bring it. When I get a two-line, he doesn't let me go to lunch with my friends. He took my phone. He And I set it for hearing and then get this, this incredible pushback of, that's inconvenient to me. Well, I'm not coming in person, right? I'm just doing this. And it's just those, I think to, 
to separate those out where it is like the two girlfriends where there's, you don't know anything more about that two girlfriends dating the same guy dynamic than a district court judge would a circuit judge who's assigned a civil criminal. It, there's no reason why I need to have that one parties on a divorce that I'm presiding over that I, that makes sense because then you can't, you're not getting snowed by somebody who comes in and, you know, writes something pretty, but that's not what's, that's not the dynamic that's at play in all the other actions that are currently pending. Um, that I think if you, if you pulled the family judges across the state and asked, what is your nemesis? What, what makes your, it, it, it's the, the PPOs and the time. And it's terrifying work because you don't want someone to be hurt or killed because of a decision that you made. You also, we, I can't stop somebody, some unknown person on the internet from like, I mean, literally some of our PPOs are like, they, they gave us a bad Willow or Zillow or whatever the, <laughs> What a Yelp, like a bad Yelp review. Nope. It's Stop Willow that. from now on. It's Willow. Willow from now on. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what are they, a bad online review. Right. Never met them. They go by, you know, slimy Sam, protect me. Like, oh my God, maybe the biscuits were dry. I like, I, I don't, and we don't even know who slimy Sam is. That, that eats up hours of our week hours when we should be spending it on way more like important things part of the challenge of that is though honestly the folks who are writing the laws don't always take a moment to talk to the people who are boots on the ground you know we we have we, we just a lot that just got passed maybe, I don't know, maybe a year ago, having to do with like juvenile restraints, whether or not you, whether or not juveniles should be restrained. There are people in the legislature who feel like under no circumstances should a juvenile ever be restrained, meaning handcuffed, coming right. into the courtroom. Right. So even if it's a 16 year old who has committed numerous criminal sexual conducts in the hall, in the, the stairwells of a high school where he knows that there aren't cameras, more than one CSE, they're not restrained. So we're going to tell our deputies, keep the courtroom safe, keep the victims safe, because the victims and all their families are there. Keep everybody safe, but we're not going to give you any tools to do that. Right. Just give them your yeah. best mean face. Tell them how disappointed you are. I mean, it, but it's like they, they're, they're, they're not asking the questions ahead of time. Maybe there are situations where they absolutely should be. Most situations, no. But what about the times when they should be? Well, and I think sometimes they don't want to hear the answers from the boots on the ground. Yes, I so think you're right. Um, well, I promised I would get you out of here by a certain time and it's that time. And I'm not going to repeat my effusive praise, but I am going to repeat my thanks to you for all of the years that you have served in this division. You will be sorely missed. I know there's a part of you that doesn't believe me, but believe me. <laughs> You will be sorely missed. Um, your experience and compassion and practicality was just instrumental in helping families. And I know there are weeks where you feel like you didn't, but you did every week. 
Oh, thank you for saying that. Can I say this? Um, that is what has kept me like the relationships with people. I, I don't know if, if, if even in our profession, if people understand how hard the folks at the front of the court work and we could not do our jobs without you guys doing your job so well. We could, we, it, it, it just, it wouldn't be possible. We would be treading water, drowning. There, there's, there's just no way. So that is, that's, that is a hard piece of this for me. I'm not big on change. That's a hard piece of this. I, I don't regret the decision. I believe it's the right decision. It's the right time. I'll also say this. I'm not saying I'm not coming back. I'm, oh, maybe you just need a little break. Truly, <laughs> honest to God. The, I, I, I said that to Ed the other night. I'm like a couple of years. And I understand the purpose of family court and consistency and that type of thing. But there's also nothing wrong with a fresh pair of eyes, a fresh pair of ears, and when it, you know, when somebody else is ready to make the move out and it's either a brand newly elected judge that's taking that docket or an old horse like me going in and taking that docket, I am absolutely open to if it would serve the bench at some point in the future, me rotating back in, I'm absolutely open to that maybe being the, the thing to do. So I want to be appropriately courted over the <laughs> <laughs> done, done. And because we didn't do an introduction at the top, for those of you who've been wondering who's been talking this whole time, <laughs> this is Judge Mary Ellen Brennan, who is departing the family division at the end of the year and will be moving over to civil criminal. Thank you for coming in and giving us a news flash that a lot of people already know, but we get to see you again. So that's always um, a good thing. Can I tell you one funny story or are we out of time? No, you can go ahead. Just when you said like, because, you know, we didn't say at the beginning who I am. Um, this was, I think I was in like my third year. And as the two of you know, I and I'm not proud of it. I'm really not. But it kind of, I've come to the point in my life where it is what it is. I have a mouth like a sailor. And it's, it's bad. I was in my chambers, blowing off steam you know, and dropped the F-bomb a couple of times. And it, 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 I was, it was just to my staff in the court setting, just to my staff. And it was when I was assigned in the wing. And Kirsten, my legal secretary, says, there's a jury next door. Like, because normally there wasn't. And I wouldn't be thinking that there was somebody like right literally next door with, with the two doors open in between. She's like, there are jurors next door. And they had just finished deliberating or whatever. And they were all done. So they were all just kind of mingling and not our jury, obviously. And as I was walking out, I jokingly said to Kirsten something like, you know, I'm Judge Lisa Gorsica, and I want to thank you for <laughs> your service. <laughs> and so sometimes don't say your name up front. See how things go. <laughs> and then I am who I am. Prove I'm not. Right. <laughs> um, all right. I have tremendous again. respect for both of you. Get you, Raffrey O'Neill, I can't remember the case. I don't associate, like, I don't, I'm not good at remembering names with the case, but I remember the fact you did a hearing on 
a case of mine and it was when referees were in transition. And so you graciously stepped in and assisted and the opinion was phenomenal. Oh, thank you. Like nailed it. Phenomenal. I can't remember the, you'll re, you might. Oh, I remember. I know which one it is. (laughs) (laughs) You nailed it. You absolutely nailed it. I appreciate it. Thank you. That's very nice. All right. Thank you guys for your time today. Thank you. We'll we'll see you in two years when we do the reunion tour. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Bye. You guys see me before that. See ya. Thank you. <laughs>